Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship. And the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. I'm here with Paige. Say hey. Hey guys. Fun fact, I just fired Paige from our business because (laughs) she doesn't listen to country music and I want you to tell everybody your response to me. Um, good luck organizing, bitch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was her. I was like, you're fired from your own business. I made her listen to Morgan Wallen, so I think she's converted. Um, you're going to catch her listening to him. I'm neutral. I'm moving neutral to the stimuli. Okay. (laughs) Um, but this brought up a really cool, like, ADHD conversation about people being different. And she likes, like, TV podcasts for background noise something I cannot focus on, and I need, like, music in the background. I also grew up on music, like, in that way, and so I think it's different. She grew up on music, too, but you know what I mean. Yeah, differently. Yeah. So It wasn't a primary source of joy in our house. Music is always a primary source of joy for me. Anyway, um, so now we are going to dive more into our self-talk and the things that we say to ourselves and how we describe our brains. And this can be helpful when it comes to children as well. But first, I want to talk about the main thing that's getting us through Podcast Weekend, and that is Magic Mind. Yes. Get me into that flow state with my little green juice. Yes, and I feel healthy because it's green. Like, it's a vegetable. It reminds me of going to a smoothie shop. Yes, but tastes better. Yeah, I used to go to a gym in Arizona, and right across the street was like a yogurt smoothie place, so uh-huh. I would go there. That would be my reward, okay. is going to get like a yeah. green juice, but then I would add a bunch of shit to it, so it was less green, but still, I felt healthy. Mm-hmm. And I felt really healthy when I drink the Magic Mind, and fun fact, we are batch recording for the first time in three seasons, meaning we're doing like six episodes today, I think, right? Is it six or five? It will end up being seven or eight what i know don't think about it okay so um and i have a hard time doing the same thing all day long which is the main reason why i'm a therapist because every session's different every person's different you get new energy every hour um but i have to say i'm doing way better than i thought with this i was very resistant to the idea of like just taking a day and recording a bunch of podcasts um, but Magic Mind is making it happen for me. And I'm pretty sure at this point, because it's 2.30 in the afternoon, it is the only thing making it happen for me. Yeah. Well, it's full of nootropics and antigens and natural caffeine. And for me, that really helps with focus and a, and a calmer focus. I have it in the morning with my coffee because I am a coffee addict, period. I'm a coffee connoisseur. So I'm not going to give up my coffee, but it helps me feel more stable and less anxious. Yeah, and we were just actually at the gas station grabbing, um, you know, staples like snacks and drinks and stuff. And we were talking to the teller about like five-hour energy drinks. And I was like, those would put me in the hospital. I would have a flippin panic attack because my heart would be racing out of my chest and I would not be able to focus Mm -hmm. because my body literally like goes into fight or flight but it does not do that with magic mind at all 
It's very calm. And the best way to get the most benefits is to take it consistently for a period of time. So I think the subscription actually lets you do 15 or 30 days. And we actually get 56% off of the subscription if you use our promo code. So what's the website that you go to? It's www.magicmind.co forward slash motherhood. And then I want you to use the code motherhood, M-O-T-H-E-R-H-O-O-D to get 56% off that subscription. Yes, and do it. You will not freaking regret it. I promise you. And then slide into our DMs so we can spread the magic together. And uh, tag us when you're taking it and tell us what you think. The packaging is super cute, too, and super, I feel like, relaxing. It meets the vibe check. Yeah, passes the vibe check. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about self-talk, how we talk to ourselves, how we talk about ourselves and our brains. Um, And something that every therapist loves is a good metaphor. I'm actually a part of this um, therapist group on Facebook where we all share like things and ask questions. And one of the most popular threads, and I read it frequently, is like, what are your favorite metaphors to use in sessions? And there Mm -hmm. are almost a thousand comments. Like therapists love a metaphor. (laughs) And I even find myself in sessions like I just come up with metaphors on the fly. Sometimes they fail freaking epically like and they don't make sense and I'm like wait that's wrong but then sometimes I'm like oh shit that was good and then I forget about it because ADHD so I need to start writing all my good metaphors down um but Paige I wanted to ask you what is your favorite metaphor to use in session it does not have to be like ADHD related or it can be or it can be um so I think the one that I find myself using most often is the drunk metaphor and kids love it and adults really understand it and I talk about because adults <laughs> understand being drunk like yes and the kids are like <laughs> oh man I'm she's too, talking about alcohol and yes exactly so I'm, I'm you would get fired if you talk about it Just I bet that. you would I'm not your average therapist I'm a cool therapist we need a we need a gif with the mom for being <laughs> with my face on it mm-hmm. with the therapist quote so what it is is I talk about there's this hormonal cocktail that happens when your body moves into fight or flight system and I talk to people about it as if they're getting drunk so when we enter fight or flight when we sense danger we're triggered our body is flushed with a cocktail and now we're drunk and our heart races and the blood is pumping to our muscles to get ready to fight or flight and our and our breathing rate increases and we're <laughs> like preparing. And so as quickly as we get drunk, it takes a while to sober up. So in the body, your uh, body has to metabolize the chemical cocktail, essentially it created to create the response in your, for fight or flight. And so what I talk about is it takes a while to sober up. And for people who live in like highly anxious or chronic stress, we're not giving ourselves enough time to sober up. So it's like we're just taking shots and then we're like starting to sober up a little bit. And right before we get there, we take another shot. And so this is a good metaphor because it helps me explain to kids and to parents that the longer we're in this state of chronic stress, the longer it takes to bring us back down to baseline and why some of us never close our stress cycles and just operate in this highly anxious state. And can I just add to your metaphor? And this is my new favorite metaphor. I just thought of it while you were talking. The, the more you are drunk, the longer you are drunk, the worse your hangover is. Yay. So when you come out of fight or flight or like long periods of fight or flight, and this is what you see on TikTok or you hear people talking about when they finally like regulate their nervous system, they are just exhausted. Like they sleep for days, they can't get yes. out of bed and they're almost in a burnout phase. And that is because you are 
hung over mm-hmm. like you need water you need basically sleep, the flu. you need greasy food <laughs> no just kidding um but call in the iv yes the yes. emotional iv the emotional <sighs> Whoa, the, the freaking metaphor. See, I told you, therapists love a metaphor. <laughs> so in chapter two of the book, we're breaking down on this season, just for a recap, Your Brain's Not Broken by Tam- Tamara Rossier. That's how I say it. Uh, it sounds fancy. She's a PhD. She also has ADHD, which I think makes her more than qualified to write this book. I'm Some- sorry, what makes you believe you're qualified to speak on this? Oh, yes. Uh, Paige is mocking me because that is my favorite TikTok response. The people, like, if I say something slightly controversial, and it's not even that controversial, like, don't spank your kids. Like, okay. Oh, wait. That's, that's a little more controversial. Yeah. Okay. What's uh, uh, a little less? Uh, what's less controversial? I try not to yell at my kids. Oh, yeah. 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 Or, like, I listen to my children. Yeah. Oh, damn. How dare you? What makes you qualified to talk about parenting? Oh, okay. Just 80 grand in debt. That's what makes me qualified. That's what I tell people. It's like those student loans, 10 years of clinical experience also. How many do you have? Five? Uh, yes. Yeah. See? Five years of clinical experience and then a decade of working in the field before my clinical experience. Yeah. Lots of things. Yeah. But, okay. So she's qualified to write this book. We're qualified to talk about parenting no matter what TikTok says. <laughs> And chapter two is about metaphors and things we can use to relate ADHD to ourselves and to other people. I find this especially useful with kids and helping them understand how their brain works without making it about them. So in previous episodes this season, we've talked about um, ways kids internalize things we say to them. And a, a lot of the way we counter that negative self-talk both in therapy and in parenting is by using metaphors to normalize what your brain is doing and how it is just doing its its thing and it doesn't mean anything about you or your child as a human being. One of the main traps that people with ADHD, adults with ADHD get caught in is that um, most people are highly intelligent like they have a very high q they can be very successful career-wise but really struggle with that like executive dysfunction Mm -hmm. and the things that um are quote-unquote basic and i feel like moms run into this a lot right because a lot of times as a mother we attach our meaning to how well we can meal plan and meal prep and run a house and keep up on laundry and household tasks and all those things. And we really shame ourselves or feel like we are dumb or really just, just um, it adds to low self-worth when really we're highly intelligent. And it is that executive dysfunction piece that gets in the way of um, functioning in the way that we would like to. Mm Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to point that out. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So actually, this is a really successful piece of therapy, too, that I think a lot of people don't recognize. It's not just the metaphor. And I use it in parenting a lot. It's called um, third person, third place, historical parallel. So if I'm trying to drive home a point to, like, let's say an adolescent, because that's typically... They need a point driven home. they They need a driven point. So, like, I'm working with an adolescent. I use a third person. It's not me. It's not the child. It's Sandy. And I use a third place. So, Sandy over at Westwood High, not the high school year, but the other one down the road that I saw last week, 
And this is all fictitious. I'm not sharing information in session. But then I'm using a historical parallel. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying Sandy over at Westwood High, she had a very similar problem about this. the kids in her friends group just started talking really poorly about her. And then I'm going to drive home the point by the suggested skill and then giving the outcome that it was successful. This is really great, too, if your child struggles with, like, identifying emotions and you're trying to teach emotional identification is using, like, objects in play mm-hmm. and, like, having them talk about how they're feeling. Yes. Or... um even as adults, it can be easy to relate more to how other people are feeling than to sit in our own emotions. Yes, absolutely. So I would say something similar to Sandy over at Westwood High had a really big problem with her friend group where they just started gossiping a lot and it ended up making her feel really excluded. And so what she chose to do was talk to Curly Joe, who is the one that started the rumor and just ask her, hey, I heard that we are in a fight right now. And I don't really understand what's going on. Are you comfortable like talking about it? Like, I want to work this out. And then they talked in it and they ended up being really good friends. Right? So because of the third person, third place historical parallel, it drives home the point with an association without like personalizing the information for rejection. And it takes the emotional reactivity out of it. Because yes. it's not about you. It's not about, it's about you. Sandy. It was it's about Sandy. It's about Sandy. Yeah. Sandy has like tons of issues with these fools all up in her space. And she was like, look, I'm just not here for it. And then they didn't bother her again. Yeah. That was it. I love it. It's such a good, it's such a good way to like normalize things too or to especially to kids like oh yeah I know this this child who's like been through something similar like oh wait I'm not alone in this yes that feeling of universality is what it's called so when I'm talking to my eight-year-old she came home the other day and her feelings were really hurt because her friend told her that I'm drunk all the time which maybe you're drunk yeah that's what she told her it was an insult in second grade you actually don't drink very much that's funny (laughs) so my daughter was like oh yeah i really love my mom she's pretty cool and her little friend was like i don't know she's kind of drunk and then just like walked away and i was like that really hurt my feelings and and so i used this and i said you know it's like um when i was little i had a friend that said this about my mom and told me all these things that they didn't like and it really hurt my feelings and I talked to my mom about it and it didn't hurt her feelings but she felt good knowing that I could come to her and tell her that my feelings were hurt and that not everyone would like her but that's okay or her her, like not everyone would like her mom Mm -hmm. and that's okay Mm -hmm. but my mom always loved me right like it's a cute endearing lesson but she felt much more comfortable with that she just wanted a space to validate her emotions and because I didn't like, make it about her. Like, well, you don't need to worry about what that girl says because I love you and I love me and ABC, whatever. <laughs> and it's not going to hurt my feelings if you come to me. Because I think kids yes. get scared, yes, too, yes. about the this about the overreaction. So, like, if I go to my mom and I say that my friend said this, is my mom going to have this huge-ass emotional reaction yes. and, like, either cause problems for me at school or, like, be upset? And I don't want to upset my mom. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids take mm-hmm. on that responsibility. Yeah. So, And then metaphors also create a story. Wait, wait. Is it too early to start drinking wine? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be drunk for this conversation. <laughs> but um, it also helps to create a story because, like we talked about in – I think it was episode two, what you perceive, you receive. You're strengthening those neural connections. Yeah, that's and just so the I- more like narratives we can create around a successful story of this issue being solved and these tools being used, 
the more that those neural connections are being created in our brains and the brains of our kids. Yeah, I just want to cre- uh, read this quote from the book because it it, it really helps explain the importance. Um, it talks about how they go beyond comprehension and demonstration. They actually change the way we think about concepts on an unconscious level. So in a study about metaphors and how they affect our thinking, half the participants of the study read about a crime-ridden city, and the criminal element was described as like a beast preying upon innocent citizens, animal metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. The other group read the same description, but they used a disease metaphor. This this comes into addiction, too. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but like, um, and those who read the animal metaphor suggested control, control strategies, like increasing police presence, imposing stricter penalties, and the disease metaphor suggested like diagnostic and treatment strategies. So when we think of things in a met, the way we create metaphors in our head helps us find solutions to things and guides us to solutions as well. Yes. So if it was a beast, it needed to be controlled. If it was a disease, it needed to be treated. So that there's tons of th- ways I could go with this, but the way we think about ourselves and the way our children think about ourselves really impact what we receive. So what we perceive, we receive. Yes, absolutely. We can circle back to the ADHD goblin for a minute and like it taking off with all of my stuff. Yeah, I wanted to go over ADHD metaphors, yeah. so that's perfect. So goblin. Yeah, ADHD goblin is taking like my mail key, right? And so what do I need to do to outwit my goblin? Like if I just leave stuff out and in a space, the goblin comes by and jacks it when I'm not around. And my goblins are my kids. Your goblins are your kids. That's fair. Kitchen scissors. Kitchen scissors. Kitchen scissors. Never in the kitchen. Always in the crafting. Yeah. So and then it's it's taking, removing it. Again, it's not a character trait of you doing this. It's not something you're causing, but it's something that is happening. Now, how, how can I trick this goblin? It's external of you as a human. Yes. The other thing, so this is the one I related to most in the book is... Um, and I like to think of us as Lucy and Ethel anyway. Would you be Lucy or Ethel? I would be Lucy. No, I would be Ethel. Okay. I'd be the one trying to talk us out of stuff that we just are doing anyways. But you're the shenanigan. I am. So, I mean, I'm tied. I think of that episode where she's shoving the chocolate in her mouth. That, that's so what we some of the issue. And I'm definitely Lucy in that one. Yeah. Yeah. And so... If you haven't watched I Love Lucy, and it's nostalgic <laughs> for me because I used to watch it with my great-grandma. Oh. Um, but the, Lucy and Ethel work in a chocolate factory. I can't remember why. but And they're, like, wrapping chocolates. And the conveyor belt starts moving too fast for them. So they start finding all these creative ways to, like, they eat the chocolate. They shove it down their shirts. They're throwing it. They're doing anything they can to, like, slow the conveyor belt down. And that's how I think of my ADHD. Like, it just feels sometimes like things are getting so overwhelming and rushing at me so fast that I'm trying to find all these creative ways. So for me, putting systems in place helps me manage like the flow of chocolates coming yeah. in. Yes. And so for example, when I'm planning for this trip, something that I do is I give everything a place and it's like I I forget to put pack things. So what I have is called a go bag. So it's like a little travel bag where I have all of my necessities that I would need, like my makeup, my scrunchies, an extra charger and phone plug-in, an extra toothbrush, all of the things, and it's in one spot. And so that way, that's the spot that it's in. And when I need to go, I grab the bag and I can go knowing that it's been fully packed and prepared with all of the things that I've already checked off the list multiple times. Except the toothbrush. Except this trip, the toothbrush, because my old one was old and I threw it away for health reasons and then I never replaced it. Yeah, and that's another like... 
system, maybe like the goblin, right? Like yeah. how do I how do I remember then that I need to like restock my go bag? I also have a go bag. Yeah. It's a good ADHD hack if you like to travel. Yes. I lost my train of thought, which also oh I wanted to make a book recommendation too. So a lot of times when you're managing ADHD and you're a mom, the household tasks feel really overwhelming and like mm-hmm. they can pile up. And there's a TikToker, um, her name's Casey Davis. She's a licensed professional counselor. And I don't know if her TikTok is domestic blisters or domestic B-listers. It could be either. Oh, it could be. I'm going to say B-listers. Yeah. Because internally we all hate ourselves. Yeah, we all hate ourselves. That's the theme. <laughs> the theme. Lindsay's life theme is we all hate ourselves internally. Um, but she wrote a book called How to Keep Household Drowning. And and she is neurodivergent, and all of the strategies in there are for neurodivergence. They also have really good, like, hygiene strategies if that's something that you struggle Mm -hmm. with. And it helps remove some of, like, the shame and limiting beliefs. And I've used it with clients, actually. So um, one of the examples in the book talks about, like, sustainability being a value, right? So, like, not using paper plates. and um, Mm -hmm. But when you're struggling or when you're in a low energy period, like it's okay to use paper plates. Mm-hmm. Some like it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And that yeah. all or nothing thinking trap is something we get into with ADHD brains. Um, so you can follow her on TikTok, read her book. It's really good. If that is a piece that you struggle with 95% of the mothers that I talk to that either feel like they have ADHD or have been officially diagnosed struggle with some kind of housekeeping. Mm-hmm. The other like hack is like to make your home functional for you like Mm -hmm. this you your house is here to serve you you are not here to serve your house and make it be perfect so put a frame i I love that put a laundry basket in my kitchen i talk about this all the time change my life yeah right which is not a typical place for a laundry basket but that's what works best for you yeah yes and it's like what is this arbitrary rule that i can't have a laundry basket in the kitchen yeah it's more like the kitchen dining room but like so you've been to my house you know it's like this middle funnel point because then you go downstairs and there's like the playroom and my girls room but the tub there's not a bathtub downstairs so the tub is upstairs which my kids love baths Mm -hmm. and so all the clothes then would like not make it down to the laundry basket and then i would feel a ton of shame because there'd be piles of laundry and it's like okay, what if I just put this basket in the kitchen, which is like, I pick up the clothes as I'm walking down to get the kids dressed. They throw the clothes. I've even taught them to do it themselves in the laundry basket. And it's so much easier. And it's created this system that works for me and my family and the flow of my house. And if someone comes over and I'm worried about it, I'll just move the freaking laundry basket. But it doesn't have to. Chances are you're not going to be worried about it. And I, and I've actually, it's helped me unpack that and not give a shit if someone sees my laundry basket in my kitchen. Yeah, that's what helps. Like, what's the purpose? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about some of those life hacks. And trash cans everywhere. Put trash cans everywhere. Yes, every room deserves a trash can. Yeah. Minimum one. (laughs) Remove the amount of steps it takes you to do something that's hard. So if, like, leaving trash out and wrappers out is hard for you, and and for kids. Like, this is just a kid's hack, but especially a neurodivergent kid's hack. Mm -hmm. Like, Put a tra- we have a trash can in our playroom. We have a trash can in every bathroom. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that was happening for us is occasionally we would forget to pack my littlest lunch but when taking her to daycare. And then she would be there all day and have to eat the snacks at the daycare or whatever. And after it happened, I think, two times in the same week, what I did is I hacked I hacked my brain. So I asked if it was okay if I just brought like microwavable mac and cheese and some extra like dry snack, pantry snacks mm-hmm. for the days if or when we forget. 
to bring her lunch. So that way she still eats and we're not, because our daycare, we have to provide all the food, but we're not leaving her without food all day, potentially. I love it. And I also, this, this can be really helpful in like unpacking the shame that comes with like, there could be a lot of shame as a mom in forgetting your child to pack your child's lunch. Mm-hmm. I know that I could get, okay, mom, but one time I forgot to send a blanket for like reading day, like, and they got to wear jammies and whatever. Mm-hmm. And Sam talked to me about it for a year about how I forgot this blanket. Yeah. And I felt like I am the worst mom. I ruined his readathon experience with, and really I didn't. He just, yeah, yeah. You know. But um, instead of like focusing on the shame in that, I could use that as a way to hack my brain so that those things don't continue to happen. Yeah. So looking at those quote unquote failures or lessons as things that can like springboard and help you hack your brain for the future. Yeah. Rather absolutely. than I'm ter- I'm a terrible mom because yeah. I forgot my lunch. Forgot her lunch. Or two the days readathon like it. In a row. So now there's just food there. So then I don't – also, too, when I'm working, I constantly have the stress on my brain, like, is she going to have something to eat? Like, mm-hmm. I can't leave right now to go drive over there and drop off food. Now I'm worried that she's going to be hungry, and that's a whole other thing. So it takes that extra, like, mental and emotional load off of me, too, to be able to set that system up. When my kids were younger and they needed, like, diapers and wipes and spare clothes and all that stuff, I would keep a diaper bag full mm-hmm. of a spare change of clothes – uh, body wash, basically like a go bag, like a thing of body wash, a thing of pain reliever and diapers and wipes just in that bag and snacks. Cause I, I would always forget snacks and they would be wild animals mm-hmm. in the car. Um, and I just leave it in the trunk of my car. And then every once in a while, when I remember it, I would change out the correct sizes and stuff, but that was so helpful for me. Yeah. And it, it's the little steps up front that make it easier in the day-to-day when your little elf comes in or the chocolates get moving too quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And you feel like overwhelmed. Another thing that we have done as a gift to like our household was a Roomba, which I know that's not something for everyone, but for our household, it worked really well. And because we are like dual working parents and our kids are in school and aftercare, that helped a ton of mm-hmm. the household management stuff mm-hmm. because if if things get really wild and dirty we also are escalated and overwhelmed and overstimulated my husband also has ADHD and so every like once a week we set the Roomba to go through the house mm-hmm. tell everyone about the hack that you created for Zane and the dishwasher yeah this is cool <laughs> so my husband and I split house housework chores based on what we have the capacity for I'm very fortunate that he's um, really supportive and understanding. Um, we both are on both ends, actually. So I'll gift myself that compliment as well. But the agreement is I go to work much earlier than him. So in the morning, he unloads the dishwasher. And in the evening after dinner, I do all the dishes because he's not home. He works a swing shift and load the dishwasher and wash it. Because doing both in the day is very overwhelming for me. It's very overwhelming for me to get off of work and to be transitioning into like the after school uh, restraint collapse while trying to make dinner and then I don't have any clean dishes to use. I don't know where anything is and the house, like the whole kitchen is a disaster. And so we agreed that I would load it at night and set it to wash and then he would unload it in the morning before work. So that way it was much easier to maintain. And he forgot a few times for like a couple weeks and instead of 
me just compensating and unloading it and being ex- extra stressed and angry about it, we talked about what kind of hack we could come up with. And it wasn't that he didn't want to. This is circling back to another episode we did. It wasn't that it wasn't a priority for him or that he didn't want to unload the dishwasher. It was that the dishwasher door is shut and so out of sight, out of mind. And so the first thing I did was I ordered this little tabby off of Amazon. It was like $10 and it slides and it tells us whether it's dirty or clean. And the second thing was every morning before I would leave, I would open the door for the dishwasher all the way. So then it's just this huge obstacle in the kitchen and all of the dishes are present. So you really can't walk around the kitchen comfortably with the dishwasher door open. So for him, that was a hack that was like, oh yeah, the dishwasher. And it's been a much more successful system for us. And it's been helpful for our marriage because I'm not resentful that I'm carrying too much of the load. And um, I'm not in this this state of belief that he just doesn't care enough in supporting me or understand how much of the workload I'm doing to make any changes or to take action. Right. It's like really understanding. And that's helped me with Tim in a lot of ways. So um, I think we have a, un- I don't know if it's unique or more common now that like we're both neurodivergent with like neurodivergent partners. Tim's even been reading a book on it, which I'm shocked because it's not usually his style, but like a book about ADHD in men. And he's been like wanting to have conversations about it. I read a book a while ago that really helped me in my marriage. And I think I recommended it to you too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just looking it up. Is it ADHD in us? Is that what it was called? Yeah. Okay. I was trying to remember. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I wanted to just tell everyone about it. It's by Anita Robertson. And she's an LCSW, but it really helps understand like different how um, ADHD presents in relationships and the thought patterns that we create um, and the, the stories we tell ourselves or we buy into about our partner um, when maybe it's really just their ADHD. It's not that they don't love us. It's not that they don't care. Yeah. It's. It's the wiring of their brain. Yeah. Yeah. An example I'll use is um, Tim is like super helpful to anyone who calls him. People call him all the time. Like, come help me with this. Come help me with this. And I used to feel so like, mm, maybe I don't know, annoyed, disappointed, hurt that um, when I would ask him for help, I would not get the same reaction that other people get or he would like rush to help other people. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like a slow moving, like I kind of have to nag you to get you to fix this thing or whatever. And, um, then I realized that it's like, it's about the dopamine hit of like helping someone else. And like, I don't create that dopamine hit anymore because we're married and it's his house. Like, and that's why it's like more Mm -hmm. fun to clean someone else's house than your own. You know what I mean? Yes. And so like realizing that took the personalization out of it. It's not about me. It's not about his love for me. It's not that he doesn't care about me and our kids in our home. It's that like he gets that dopamine hit. So we have to find another way to manage the household tasks. Yes. So instead of getting stuck in, and, and I have the art, the rejection sensitive dysphoria, instead of getting stuck in that emotional reaction and the disappointment of it, I was able to like work through that and say like, okay, how do we create a system for the tasks that like I need you to do here that I can't do? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so supportive. To have, so that's one of the things the author in the book talks about is when you read this. Wait, which book? We've talked about three books. Sorry, Your Brain's Not Broken, the original one that we're doing the podcast on this season. She talks about, I hope if you're somebody that is neurotypical reading the book, you have more compassion and curiosity for the experience of someone that's neurodivergent, like in your life that you care about and more understanding. And um, I think that's helpful too. That's why I'm so passionate about the education for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if we move this into uh, parenting, 
one of the things I love is helping my kids come up with hacks for their brain mm-hmm. and using that support. So I was talking to Lindsay just earlier today about how I felt like like I it was a parenting win for me in the moment because uh, my eight year old has a hard time focusing, but she had to do a lot of homework over winter break, mm-hmm. and it, it was very hard and frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I set on like lo-fi music in the background because I know that she needs a level of distraction, right? This is just me understanding the wiring of her brain based mm-hmm. on our relationship and attunement. And that's attunement. Yeah. That is attunement, yeah, yeah. guys. Like understanding what your kid needs is attunement. It is not just the emotional attunement in the moment. It's being All like needs. predicting yeah. Physical, needs. emotional, yeah. mental needs. And so I also ordered um, these base 10 blocks off of Amazon. So we have actual manipulatives because it's very hard when your brain is wired differently to do abstract, um, picture abstract things in your mind for mm-hmm. some for some mm-hmm. neurodivergent individuals. And so when she has manipulatives, she can do math much more like quickly and easily mm-hmm. and it's not as frustrating. Mm-hmm. So I had lo-fi music going. She had her base 10 blocks that I just like, she was angry. So I was like, do you want to use them? And she's like, no. I was like, okay, well, I'll just set them over here in case you want them. And then like went on with my business. And she ended up getting them out and her little whiteboard. And then she has a need for movement too. So every time she would do like, she she set the pace herself, but she did like a full worksheet. And then she's like, hey, I need to move. And then she would go and like run around and like take a little break around the house and then come back herself and refocus and do it again. Can I praise your parenting for a minute? Oh, sure. You didn't engage in that power struggle with her because I know a lot of parents, like they bought the manipulatives. They know they need them. They know they're helpful. And when a child is in that, like, and that's like autonomy. Like that's what that's like. I am, I'm frustrated and probably in like a low level of fight or flight. And I'm like searching for that control. And so when mom says, here's your manipulatives, you're like, no, I don't want them. Mm-hmm. A lot of parents would be like, no, you need them. I'll just use them. And like engage in this power struggle when oftentimes if we just set them down and be like, okay, they're here if you decide to use them and walk away, they will eventually yeah. use them. The hard part is disconnecting from the outcome, whether she wants them or not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then another thing we did is in kindergarten, her teacher would say, if her head wasn't attached to her shoulders, which is such inaccurate representation for my kid. And if you haven't heard that before, it's basically like, if your head isn't attached, then you'd lose it. Same. So we live in a very cold place in Idaho where you have to have snow pants, boots, gloves, and a beanie during the winter because it gets freezing the temperature is below freezing Mm -hmm. and so she would forget stuff and so what we did is we created little visuals on like a little t-ring that she could attach to her backpack so every morning she'd look at all the pictures on her t-ring to make sure she had the things in her backpack that she needed yeah let's talk about hacking your morning routine with an adhd child visual charts are amazing and kids love being involved and putting the i did velcro ones that are visual like putting i have some too i have some velcro ones for routine and you you even like slowly transitioned your kids. This is like the baby step thing and like teaching the skill of like you helped them and then now they can do it pretty much independently, right? Yes. And that's the goal. I get a lot of parents that are like, my kids fight me in the morning. They don't do their morning routine. We're always late for school. And in the beginning, you may need to walk them through every step of their morning routine. Mm-hmm. But with time and intentionality, there's that word again, intentionality, eventually it is not a forever thing. They will be able to do that morning routine by themselves. Yeah. And sometimes we get stuck too in the shoulds. And we're talking about like limiting beliefs and metaphors. Like my seven-year-old should be able to do their full morning routine. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm going to use that example for Sam. Like developmentally, a seven-year-old should be able to do their morning routine. But I understand that there are areas in which 
my seven-year-old developmentally maybe is a little younger and needs help or redirection, right? Mm -hmm. So taking that, um, like the shoulds and the expectations of you should be able to do this and say, no, I'm going to just start where you are. Where are you? And I'm going to teach you the skills there. It doesn't matter their freaking age. Like, where are you? And I'm going to teach you their skills there because you're going to have a four-year-old that can maybe do the full morning routine and a seven-year-old that can't. And that doesn't mean anything about either of them. Or your parenting. Or your parenting. It just means that you need to start where they're at. Like, and in therapy school, I don't know if you ever heard this, but they like drill this into our heads. You have to meet the client where they're at. Oh, yeah. And so like in parenting, that is a, a big piece. And it's meeting your child where they are at. Mm-hmm. Not where you want them to be. Not where you think they should be. Not where developmentally the books tell you they should be. But where they are actually at. Yeah. And teach the skills. Yeah, absolutely. And it was. So we created our visual routine chart with the morning routine and an evening routine. Mm -hmm. And I got a comment a couple weeks ago like, oh, you don't even use that anymore. Why don't you take it down? And I was like, you don't understand what an important piece of the process this was for us. So while we don't like need to reflect on it as heavily, like when we first started kindergarten, almost two years ago now, it was like, What's next on your routine? What's next on your routine? What's Mm -hmm. next on your routine? Mm -hmm. Like reflected back constantly. Mm -hmm. So now we're at the point where they can name off their routine independently because now it's a system, right? It's their system in the morning and in the evening. And I prefer like flows and systems because I'm not very good at structure. Like at six o'clock, we do this. At 610, we do that. Like I'm not about that. So I'm like, hey, well, in general, this is what we do. And this is what we do. And so now too, they can complete those tasks with, needing to reflect back less to the visual reminders and routines. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's just as important. Also, it helps remove me from, like, the person that they're mad at, that they have to do the routine. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's not up to me. It's on a routine. And, like, now that they're getting older, they figure that out more. But it's another way to disengage from the power struggle. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what the routine says. That's what we got to do next because that's what the routine says. It can also um, create... A sense of autonomy too because like certain things don't need to be done in a certain order mm-hmm. and so they can maybe choose like what they want to do next yep. I have a question for you though okay so as a parent that struggles with like organizing planning and implementing um like visuals and routines and sometimes I'll I'll do it and but I, it takes a lot of like motivation to get myself to do it what would you recommend as like a a hack or a bridge to help your children with that. So you are trying to help your kids do the planning and structure and organizing part? Yeah, or maybe you struggle with like the consistency of putting together the the visual board. Like, so yeah, the visual board's a great idea, but like I, um, the person or me, like I struggle (laughs) with like organizing it, getting it together because that's something I struggle with. How Mm -hmm. do I do that and help my kids learn to do that? Yeah. So I would, I would consider a medium that is most effective for you. Mm -hmm. For us, it really was the Velcro visualization chart. Mm -hmm. And I put in like, it was like a hyperfixation project, honestly, to like laminate all my little pieces and cut them out. But I don't move it now. I created extra like copies of the things that would repeat Mm -hmm. and it doesn't get, I don't move it and I don't adjust it. I don't change it. So I put it together once and then it does its own work. I love that. And it's just my like reflection back to it. So finding systems that are easy to adjust in the place that they're in or that you don't have to adjust once they're in. Um, I did the visualization thing and some pieces 
ended up missing and it didn't end up working as well as I had wanted it to. So we actually don't use it anymore, but I'm going to just say, instead of like, I can't be consistent, I'm flexible. I recognize mm-hmm. that that wasn't working for our family. Yes, adaptability. And we do it a little differently now. Whereas like I, um, Sam doesn't need the visual reminder as much. Um, but I say like, what's next on our routine? Mm-hmm. And I prompt him to think about it. Yeah. And there are days and um, with neurodivergence, I'm sure we'll get into this. Some days are really great and some days are really not great mm-hmm. where um, he needs me to pretty much help him through his whole morning routine. Some days he just gets up and does it himself, mm-hmm. but we've done the repetition enough yeah. that it's there. And so um, don't marry yourself to a system. Yeah, right. absolutely. Be, be able to leave it. I doubt. And don't force, don't, don't continue to pigeonhole yourself into ADHD systems like you've probably done your whole life into neurotypical systems because it feels like what you should do or what. Like if I tried to use the exact same system Paige does, it probably wouldn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And instead of like feeling a lot of shame and forcing myself to use that system, like give yourself the permission to adapt and change that for yeah. your needs and your child's absolutely. needs. That's the point I was like trying to make, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important that – The piece of adaptability and, again, attuning, right? We're attuning to our inner child and we're attuning to our actual children Mm -hmm. because just like we talked about before, as you move through the phases of life, different systems are going to work differently for you. Mm -hmm. So you have to be adaptable. It's like visualization charts were not your thing, but uh, verbal cues are. Right. And some – and where you can run into struggles is where – Maybe your child thrives on visual charts and you thrive on auditory cues Mm -hmm. Um, and recognizing that mismatch and trying to meet your child's needs, but then also recognizing like, maybe we're just not visual cue people and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that that's it for that chapter. Yeah. So we finished another chapter. Uh, Just a brief summary. It was using metaphors and you can teach your kids to depersonalize it too by using a third person, third place, historical parallel. Like, what does it feel like? And you can introduce it. So maybe for my kid, I'd be like, oh, the the goblin came again and it snatched our homework. You know, yeah. Depersonalize, remove the emotionality, remove the shame. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you hear a lot about um, adults who are diagnosed later with ADHD or even they've had ADHD as a child and knew about it. They carry a lot of shame for how their brain works or mm-hmm. those things. And the more that we can prevent that in our children, um, and we do that by healing it in ourselves first. Yeah. That's the whole mm-hmm. like mindful. The unpacking. That's yeah. the mindful part in that mindful as a mother. mother. Yeah. <laughs> so like removing that shame and those limiting beliefs in how we talk to ourselves, how we relate to ourselves, and then in turn how we relate to our children is what um, helps us raise children who neurodivergent or neurotypical create lives that work for them and not and is not their lives are not based on them trying to fit in a mold that society has set for them. Yes, exactly. So thank you guys for being here. We're so grateful. Don't forget to like, follow, review, share with your friends. We have a lot more great content to come and we are so excited to be back. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.